The following is a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike LLC. Some handshakes over there on the Iowa sideline. What a comeback today. And the Iowa Hawkeyes knock off Pittsburgh 31 to 27. No panic, but a lot of elation for the Iowa Hawkeyes. They believe, never panic. They did become much more aggressive in terms of throwing the ball, and it paid dividends for them, not just for James Vandenberg, but in winning this football game today. Iowa with the big fourth quarter comeback, and they knock off Pittsburgh, handing the Panthers their first loss of the season. They did a nice job containing Ray Graham today as well. Hello, Hawkeye fans. This is John Patchett, and welcome to the football show from Hawkeyes Mike. On this show, week three, part two, you'll hear from former NFL and Hawkeye star Marv Cook. Marv breaks down the historical come-from-behind victory over the Pittsburgh Panthers, talks about the Louisiana Monroe game, and has some provocative comments about conference expansion. Hawkeye's Mike podcasts are expanding this year and will include regular Brent Baldonat's press box report on Mondays, reviewing the previous game's action with comments from Iowa head coach Kirk Ferentz and key Iowa players, Marv's X's and O's segment on Wednesdays, and guest commentators and reporters on Thursdays. Ferentz and opposing coaches will also be featured on Thursday's shows. The Iowa-Pittsburgh game highlights are courtesy of ESPN2, with announcers Beth Mullen and Mike Bellotti, a nice job calling that game and capturing especially the fourth quarter excitement in Kinnick Stadium. We very much appreciate it and thank them. HawkeyesMike.com. It's sports talk radio on the internet, just for you, the Iowa fan. All sports, all Hawks, all the time. We welcome back former Hawkeye and NFL star Marv Cook for his weekly stint on Hawkeye's Mike. Marv dissects the pit game in depth. So Marv, the biggest comeback in the history of Iowa football. I'm amazed. I'm amazed that that's, that is it. That's uh, 21 points seems like we should have come back by more than that at some point in the last 20 years. But uh, no, it was, it was impressive. It was impressive that the fans didn't leave either, really, for the most part. I thought the fans stayed and were a part of it. So uh, it was a pretty good, pretty good Saturday. I give you credit. Last week we talked. I asked you the question after the Michigan Notre Dame game if you thought Iowa's offense could ever come back in a game like that, and you said yes. And you know, I was sort of doubtful, but they made believers of me Saturday. You know, I was actually sitting there when uh, Pitt was going in for the, one of their last scores, thinking, you know, here's what we need: is we need a Tyler Sash pick six that kind of led to that recovery against was it Purdue or a year or two ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is a massive comeback as well. You know, Vandenberg just took over and, and got into a nice rhythm and made some throws, incredible throws down the stretch that were just, you know, he threw it into a two-foot window that only his guy could catch, and, they were, and the receivers made great catches on it. So it was a, an impressive comeback. What does a game like that do for the confidence level of players, young players versus, you know, more experienced ones or just the team as a whole? Well, I think it's it tells you you're never out of a game. You know, unfortunately... I mean, the, the, the realist of me says, I don't think Pitt's that good. Uh, I think they're a decent team. I think they got talent, but I don't think, I thought they made some poor decisions down the stretch up 21. They were snapping the ball with 20 seconds to go on the play clock. I understand that's their, that's their style, but you know, you, at certain times you gotta, you gotta, you know, work clock and do things like that. And they didn't help themselves by that, 
stretch the imagination. But and then I thought they got too defensive. You know, the only thing prevent defenses prevents you from doing is winning. Uh, I thought they got a little too conservative defensively because I thought they had the Hawks numbers through the first three quarters. I mean, I thought they were pressure the way they were playing our receivers at that time. You know, I just think they got too conservative and, and it, you know, Iowa, to their credit, took advantage of it. It certainly would make the team think they're never out of a game for the rest of this year. That's exactly right. I mean, there's enough talent here on this squad. I mean, obviously with the emergence of uh, Keenan Davis and, and, and the ability of Marvin McNutt and now this new receiver. I mean, he, he made some incredible plays. I mean, I got to remember this guy's name because he's a great football player, redshirt freshman. Kevante Martin. That's Manway, right. Yeah. Yeah, Kmart, and, somebody. And, uh, you know, I mean, the kid can play and he's got some incredible skills so and the tight ends caught some balls at critical times to help move the chains and and uh, you know that's going to be you know pay huge dividends for them as they get into a big 10 play. The thing about Martin Manley is uh, it's interesting that at the start of the practice this fall DJK actually predicted that he said that was his guy to click. Looks right now between the three wideouts that this may be the best sort of three pack of wideouts that Iowa's had under the under the Ferentz Era. I would agree with that, and I, I think the one thing that people got to remember is, is that Vandenberg's probably throwing more to the younger guy than he has to the two older guys, because the two older guys were working with Stanzi all last year, where Vandenberg was working with this newer receiver and probably made a ton of these throws in practice, uh, you know, over the course of scout team and stuff like that. So there's probably great chemistry there, and and uh, I really like Vandenberg's comments this week about really kind of felt that he, you know, he had three guys that were going to be big time playmakers, and it was just a matter of them continuing to develop and show their skills. As the, as the camp went on and as the season went on. And that's what they they put themselves in a great position now. A lot of the focus, obviously, on those touchdowns in the fourth quarter that really let them come back. But it looks like Vandenberg really spread the ball around nicely. Keenan Davis had 10 catches, 129 yards. McNutt, 8 for 112. And then Martin Manley, 4 for 76 with two touchdowns. And then plus the tight ends last Saturday caught four balls, mm-hmm. too. So that's a pretty good balance, isn't it, in terms of the receiving core? It really is. I mean, it's, and it's hard for... D- a defense to uh, to defend that, and so when you when you're distributing the ball to five or six guys, you can't always say well, let's just you know have safeties over the top of McNutt because now you got a slot receiver, you got a tight end inside that's one on one with the linebacker, and that's going to create a mismatch. So uh, it's definitely good that he's able to distribute the ball. He's, it's great that he's got the confidence to move around with different guys, and he's not going to be locking in on certain receivers at certain situations. So that's that's a positive for the Hawks. He ended up with Vandenberg did with really good stats, but if you watched the game the first three quarters, he was consistently not unlike what happened in the game in Ames. Overthrowing receivers and a lot of the receptions that were made were just terrific efforts by the the receivers going up, getting the ball. Is that still a matter of him not quite learning the right touch on a lot of those passes? I think a lot of it might be just the combination of if a defense is more physical with the receivers at the line of scrimmage or in their, right when they're taken off, it, it affects the depth of the routes a lot of times. It affects the timing. And then when you do get into prevent or you get into a more conservative Role where you're not going to press as much, you're going to play back. Now that 10 yard curl becomes a 10 yard curl, you know, at the time that he expects it to be a 10 yard curl, he's going to throw the ball in the spot. Where, you know, I just think that I've never been a big fan of defenses when they have something going to get out of it and to change the routine. And, and you know, and I, I just think that obviously uh, James got into a nice little rhythm and, and he was throwing the ball in time and, and was his progression was the right progression and, and was working. And, and um, you know, when he went from one to two, he was at the, he was at the 
at the two receiver when he needed to be there and he was throwing the ball when it needed to be thrown and, and things started to click for him. It, it did look like for, again, the first three quarters, he, it, at least without having the advantage of looking at game film, you know, just looking at it on the, a replay of the mm -hmm. television broadcast, that he still wasn't going through his progressions. If that's accurate, is that a matter of the kind of pressure Pitt's defense was putting on, not even giving him time to do that? You know, I, I don't know the progression. I, I don't know the reads in this system. You know, I mean, from what I, from what I could gather from the conversation, he was going from one to two, and when he went from one off, off, you know, off of one to two, now two was covered, and the timing wasn't working the way it was supposed to be working. And when he got into a rhythm and started throwing the ball, you know, down the field a little bit more vertically, I've always said this: when I was playing at the highest level, I really felt like there was never a route when I couldn't catch a ball. You know, I could always run a route and be open. Now, the window of being open may be a foot. You know, if the quarterback throws the ball here, at least my body position can create enough space that I can catch the ball. And I think that's where they got into a little bit, is he just started to develop a, a massive confidence with some of these receivers running down the seams that, you know what, I'm going to throw the ball high into the back shoulder and let my guy go get it. And, he, and you saw in the videos that the defender's jumping and the ball is literally, you know, a foot over his hand and our receivers fully extended catching the ball. I mean, so if he throws it a foot higher, a foot lower, it's incomplete. But he throws it where he throws it, it's complete. And he's got a nice little rhythm and was making the passes right when they needed to be thrown. How do you explain almost a complete ineptness for three quarters offensively and you know four sacks and very poor uh, average per rush I think it was uh, 2.3 yards which is not going to get it done against a quality team or almost any team what happens that you know you have that situation going on for three quarters and all of a sudden in the fourth quarter where they run the two-minute offense for the entire quarter it just explodes well I think our offense is built around running the football and if you can't run the football effectively then the passing game is our passing game is built off of running the football effectively it's built off of play action in the zone and, and so that's where I think a lot of the, the issues became when, you know, you're faking play action. If the linebackers aren't buying that and they're bolting to cover the slot receiver, now that slot receiver's not open. And so, you know, I, and I think when we got into the two-minute, now it becomes more like a seven-on-seven seven setting where you're not worried about play action. You're just going back, getting in the pocket, making the throws, uh, and, and, and you're throwing in a rhythm, like I said, because it is you do seven-on-seven seven every day in practice. And it's just offense versus defense. It's all passing. And quarterbacks love it. Quarterbacks receivers love it. And you honestly feel like you should complete every ball. And that's kind of the rhythm they got into was they felt like, you know what, if we can protect and keep quarterback standing up, you know, he's going to complete most of these passes, and that's exactly what they did. It did seem like Vandenberg was really comfortable running that hurry-up offense. Would you, if you were the coach, make Maybe, you know, certainly not run it all the time because that'd be so contraindicated of Ference's style, but would you maybe think about mixing that up and running that on occasion and in the middle of games just to well, sort of I mean, throw another team what, off? That's what James was in high school. I mean, he, that, he was a spread shotgun, you know, four or five wides, and he did a great job running that offense. He was really good at it. And, you know, but, but it, this is what we do and this is who we are, and don't get me wrong, it works. You know, obviously James is very comfortable doing both. I've seen him be effective in both situations, but if you can't run the football, you know, what happens is if, if you're running play action and it's third and 20, um, they're not going to buy the run. You know, it's third and 20. I mean, so if, if you can't run the football, it's third and five. The play action, all it does is it takes the quarterback's eyes off the defense where he's trying to read. And, it, and, and, and now it's an extra second that he's not going through his progression. So he basically can't get to the third or fourth progression now because he spent a, a second, you know, trying
trying to fake the play action, and it kind of that kind of messes the timing up because then basically it becomes you know you've got a comeback or you got a flat route or, you know or a crosser because they're usually running boot or something off the play action. But it, it is what it is, and and it's good to see us adjust and being able to have the ability to adjust. And that's the great thing is I think Ken O'Keefe's initial background when he first came to Iowa was he was a wide open style offensive coach, and so I think we're seeing some more of that flavor get into this offense, and I think it's going to be beneficial to us because the other thing is players want to play in this stuff. You know the great receivers. They want to play in an offense like that. The pit offense, at least for the, again, the first three quarters, was unbelievable, the one statistic that just stuck in my mind. Between the end of their previous offensive play and the beginning of the next one, they were averaging 12 seconds for much of that game. And you see other teams, Iowa State runs their hurry-up offense, but it's not that hurry-up. And, you know, I think it's pretty rare to see a team have that little time between plays. That, that was impressive to watch. Obviously, we'd keep the defense on their heels. You made a comment earlier about how that began to really hurt them later in the game. You want to elaborate on that? Well, I mean, I think one, the hurry-up offense forces defense to be basic because they can't make substitutions. They can't really get calls in. Well, I was going to line up and run their defense. I mean, we're, we're, you know, we're notorious for not changing much. So that doesn't affect us too much because we're going to line up and play. The second thing is, is if you have a lead, and at some point you've got to say, okay, we got a 21-point lead, you got to work clock. You know, you got to take the, the, the play clock from 35 to, to 2 and snap it, and that's 30 seconds, you know, of, of a quarter. I mean, that's a lot. And you could you could at least, worst case scenario, go three and out. That's a minute and a half you just took off the clock of, of just time that you didn't snap the ball. And I think that's what Pitt did wrong to some extent is, I know they don't want to lose their mojo, they don't want to lose their rhythm, but you've got to then signal the play in later. You know, you see, so they, they, they get to play there on the line, they're, they're off and running. But, uh, you know, it was it was interesting to see that, you know, me, like I said, being up as much as they were late in the game, still snapping the ball when the clock was running with 20 seconds, 25 seconds on the play clock was just amazing to me. Good break for the Hawks. Yeah, another meaningless stat again, possession time, because Iowa dominated it pretty thoroughly, especially in the second quarter, ironically, and it, it's almost meaningless in a game like this. I thought Pitt made some big plays. It looked like you know there was some miscommunication in the back end, the corner. They were getting they were getting right behind the corner, right in front of the safety a lot, and I, you know it just looked like there was some miscommunication there between the corner and the safety, and and they had a couple you know gimmicky plays that that hurt us a little bit, but it looked it looked dire there. But I really felt like our defense somewhat played well, and like I said, other than the big plays was kind of an issue that I think got us in a little bit of trouble. But the 24-3 didn't look good. I mean I'll be honest with you especially against a team that, you know, played Buffalo and Maine you know, and played them close. What was going on on those defensive plays? They were running the, since their quarterback would sort of sprint out right, and it looked like the defensive back, and I think it was Prater on, on every one of them, really, who would then bite on that and left a big opening and a big gap there that wide out and that's how they got several of those really long gains. Yep. Is, is the cornerback not reading that or is, is that his assignment? Is the safety not coming it, it over fast enough? It depends on the call. I mean that's where the, the hardest part is it depends on the call. It depends on who's got force. If cover two the corner should be up rolled and then he's got contain and force. Cover three he should be back. You know it depends. Sometimes they're running a bracket type you know combination package. So but um, you know so 
It's really hard to say where the breakdown was. It kind of gets back, though, keep the quarterback in, in the pocket. If you, if you keep contain on the line of scrimmage, you don't have that issue. That, that's the problem is when the quarterback's outside the pocket and he starts to run, now someone's got to come out of the secondary to keep him from running for 20 yards. And so usually that's what happens. That someone comes up, now there's a zone that's voided, and the quarterback's going to make the throw in there. So not exactly sure what the breakdown was, you know, because it's easy to it's easy to throw the corner out or the safety out, but sometimes it could have been the defensive end's problem. You know, or sometimes it could have been the scraping linebacker that when the quarterback sprints or gets out, then he's supposed to force it and pull it up. You know, so there's a, there's a combination of four or five guys that could have been. We talked a lot last week's show about containment and that being the significant problem at Iowa State. You just mentioned it again. How do you think the defense overall performed Saturday with respect to that? Like, I th- for the most part, I thought it was, I thought they did played well. I just thought they had a couple plays that hurt us, you know, that created 14 points. And, and other than that, they score, you know, 10. Huge stand down there late where they were forced to kick a field goal. I think they had first and goal on the five or six yard line and we stopped them. They had to kick a field goal. You know, that turned out to be a huge, a huge play for us. The irony is the last play when Micah Hyde picks off the, the, the ball, if he throws it out in front of the receiver, he's got to play. The safety's coming over but he's not over and there was there was a window there that if he throws that ball another five six feet further it's a completion and now they're down a field goal range you know so I mean there's still a lot of things to clean up and 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 like I said I think Pitt's talented but I'm not sure exactly how good they are right now so you know I mean it was a good you know you always kind of look at things and you say well Iowa State went on and beat UConn what's a good win so I think you know we are a good team but you know we obviously still got a lot of work ahead of us. Made the defensive coaches look uh, pretty good with the changes they made moving Hyde back to corner and a couple of the other changes before that game. What is it that makes Hyde so good at the cornerback position? I mean, he seemed to be okay at safety, but he, here he's back making picks again yeah. almost immediately in that cornerback position. I think he's, one, he's incredibly athletic. You know, he's got great feet and, and then sees the ball and, and gets to the ball. And that's, you know, 10 years ago, our corners just, just seemed couldn't find the ball. You know, the ball was in the air. It was like watching, uh, you know, Notre Dame versus Michigan. They just couldn't find the ball in the air and make a play on it. And I think Micah Hyde has got the innate ability to say, when the ball's in the air, it's his ball. I mean, I think he truly has that mindset that, you know what, I'm going to go get this thing. And, and he does. He does a nice job of, of finding it and going and getting it. Special teams, um, sort of some pluses and some minuses last week. The punter, Guthrie, really doing a nice job. I think he averaged over 45 yards a kick. He had a lot of hang time. You're going to think I'm crazy. I think that's where we won the game. Mm-hmm. With our punting versus their punting, their punter was terrible. I mean, their punty, punter probably cost them. I bet we won... 20 yards of field position every time we punted versus their punt. And that's two well-executed, you know, first downs. So, you know, those things are invaluable, and I thought the punter's doing a really good job for us. And Jordan Bernstein seemed to have a real spark back there returning kickoffs, uh, including one that was called back because of a penalty. There were still kick coverage issues on the kickoffs in particular until the end when there was that spectacular play on the last kickoff. Um, what did you see happening with those, with that coverage issue? again the same problems it's tough I mean kickoff coverage is hard teams are getting better about their wedges about their their blocking schemes and and the one thing that you gotta you know we talk you gotta come down in waves you know you gotta come down and and and, and be a uniform group and if, if one guy next to you avoids a block the other guy takes it on now there's there's a lane not only vertically but horizontally and so you got to come down in, in a uniform group of at least three or four in the area, take on the wedge, and then the other guy's got to come into the next wave and basically throw a wet blanket over the thing and, and make sure that it doesn't get out. And the problem, like I said, is if some guy, if some guy avoids inside and the guy next to him avoids outside, now you got a massive problem. 
because now you got a 10 foot 10 yard lane in there and so you got to try to avoid the same way you got to try to hit the wedge the same positions always keep contained with the ball and then have your second guys kind of folding in behind you know creating that that that's you know that that blanket that kind of says okay it's not getting out of the first initial contact here we're going to lock it in four or five yards within that wedge so you know, I think sometimes it's a guy avoiding the wrong way or it's a guy getting stuck on a block way too early when he should be beating it with speed. And now, like I said, the problem is the guy next to him is 10 yards, 15 yards by him. And so if he gets by that guy, now he's got a window to get back in under that guy's lane and there's a big, big void in there. So they'll, they'll work it out. You know, I think you'll start seeing more of the starters on it as well. Another oddity last Saturday was penalties. I mean, uncharacteristically for Iowa, especially a Ferentz team, eight penalties, 85 yards, and several of them were just drive killers. Yeah, I mean, third and two to third and 12 are just, yeah, they are percentages of converting those and keeping drives alive are just, uh, you know, and that's third game, have a tendency to do that. You know, you get you get tired, you get lazy, you get sore, you start getting your fingers are hurting, your feet are hurting, you start leaning on guys. You know, you just got to clean it up and make sure that your hands are inside and you're really focused and you're, you're finishing blocks, but you're, you know, you're doing it with your hands inside and things like that. And then it just, it's just concentration a lot of times too, is just staying focused and, and getting get the rhythm going offensively so your formations are right, your motions are right, and all that type of stuff. What was going on with the offensive line? I mean, in one respect, it looked like there for a while, Pitt was blitzing almost every play, but the line, you know, you give up four sacks, that's got to be a concern. Yeah, and I, and I think you know a lot of a lot of our sacks. I think sometimes are if you're running play action as a lineman, you you are technically trying to fool the defensive lineman. But if he ain't buying it, you're now at a disadvantage. You know, so if you're coming off and run, and he's coming off in a pass rush, you you put yourself you put yourself in a bad situation. You, I mean, you understand what I'm saying? Because if he sees if if he's just teeing up and coming pass rush and you're setting instead of getting back and setting and punching and getting your head back you're coming off on a run now he's got you where he wants you technically because now he can grab your pad pull you rip you you know swim you all that stuff and I think that kind of maybe been some of the issues we were having earlier is you know some of that stuff's coming off play action like I said if they're not buying it the defense has got a huge advantage more from Marv after the Big Ten update Marv talks about the turning point in the Pittsburgh game, Iowa's running back situation, the benefits of film for the players and coaches, and the potential for more conference realignments. How many things have you touched today? Hmm? Ooh, a puppy. <laughs> How many places have your hands been? Ooh, a keyboard. 24-hour hand sanitizer protection just makes sense. Prefins, a silica-based hand sanitizer protects your hands all day. Stays on. Up to 10 washings. Moisturizes. Alcohol-free. And safe for the kids. So go ahead. Touch anything and everything. Ew, a toilet. Prefins. Keep your hands germ-free all day. In the Big Ten update this week, eight Big Ten teams are receiving votes in the latest Associated Press and USA Today coaches polls. The Big Ten is tied for the conference lead with five top 25 squads, one of only three conferences nationally, with two or more teams ranked in the top 10 in both polls. Wisconsin, Nebraska, and Michigan are ranked in the top 25 in both polls. Illinois is number 24 in the AP, Michigan State number 23 in the USA Today. Wisconsin and Nebraska are the two teams in the top 10. 
And four Big Ten teams remain undefeated through three weeks of play. Michigan and Nebraska from the Legends Division, Wisconsin and Illinois from the Leaders Division. Each Big Ten team protected its home turf this past weekend. Teams compiled a 7-0 mark at home. Five Big Ten players surpassed the 100-yard mark last weekend. The second week in a row, five or more conference rushers have raced past the milestone. And three Big Ten signal callers threw for more than 300 yards last week. Two in winning performances, including, of course, Iowa's James Vandenberg. Vandenberg was named Big Ten Offensive Player of the Week for his performance in the pit game. He threw for 399 yards and three touchdowns, each of those three TDs coming in the fourth quarter. It's Vandenberg's first Big Ten Offensive Player of the Week honor. And speaking of passing, seven Big Ten wide receivers finished with 100 or more receiving yards on Saturday, the highest number of conference wideouts to go for over 100 yards receiving in a week so far this season. Those receivers included, of course, Iowa's Marvin McNutt and Keenan Davis. It's interesting to note that the top three rushers in the Big Ten this past week were all quarterbacks. It's interesting to note that the top three rushers in the Big Ten from this past weekend are all quarterbacks. Nebraska's Taylor Martinez Michigan's Denard Robinson, and Minnesota's Marquise Gray. It's also interesting to note that Martinez, Robinson, and Gray are not only the top three rushers in the Big Ten, but they're also the top three running quarterbacks in the entire country. While the Big Ten did manage to win nine of its 12 games last Saturday, a lot of those games were close or saw teams struggling considerably in posting the win. Ohio State was pounded by Miami, and in fact, for the first time since 2000, 2004, the Buckeyes have dropped out of the Associated Press Top 25. As a matter of fact, Iowa State received more votes than Ohio State did this past week. Michigan State was only able to post 13 points in its sloppy loss to Notre Dame, and Northwestern was defeated by an Army team that had previously lost to both San Diego State and Northern Illinois. And even some of the teams that won, well, it was a struggle. Nebraska's defense let the Washington Huskies rack up 38 points. Iowa, of course, needed its biggest comeback in school history to defeat Pittsburgh, and Penn State narrowly escaped losing to Temple. That would have been the first time that would have happened since 1941. Week four of the Big Ten schedule this coming Saturday is a bit on the light side. Two of the more interesting games find number nine ranked Nebraska playing at Wyoming and Colorado traveling to Ohio State. Two Big Ten teams have bye weeks already in the season. Purdue and Northwestern are off this coming Saturday. And broadcast school has really paid off. Now more insight from Marv Cook. Some people think, and at the time it certainly seemed like it, that that play, that pass play that was completed right in front of Kirk, that the official who was standing right there ruled it incomplete and then it got reviewed and overturned, that that may have been you know, the critical turning point almost in the entire game offensively. We were like Iowa State, in my opinion, this week, and that we made every play we had to make to come down the stretch and win the thing. That was one. The touchdown catches were, were the other ones. I mean, because they were incredible catches. I mean, they were really, you know, like I said, well-thrown balls. If Vandenberg misthrows one ball and it's a pick in, in, in those three drives, we don't win the game. You know, if we fumble one snap, we don't win the game. That's where we put ourselves in a position where we had to, to make play after play after play. And so, you, you know, it's easy to, to point to one play as a turnaround, which it probably was to some extent because the crowd got back into it. But then 
that next three series where we had to score three touchdowns, I mean, it was, if we, you know, I truly mean this, if, if, if we get one ball tipped and batted and it gets picked off, we don't win the game. We finally saw a backup running back actually carry the ball for the first time since the opening game. I, I think you've said in the past that's going to be pretty important for Coker. You can't keep putting him out there for all those carries. He's going to get hit harder and harder and harder as the Big Ten season gets there because you're going to have, you know, teams that are going to really be coming down, putting eight in the box, coming up with some great schemes, and so he's going to get pounded. And we've got to do a better job of creating, you know, some bigger holes. I mean, obviously, 2.3 yards rushing is not going to cut it. I mean, we need big chunks. You know, we need to be effective. And then ultimately, we need to be able to have it just so we can run our play-action passing game. We've got to see some somebody else there at that running back position that can create a spark. And I've always liked to change a pace. You know, you come in with a big back that slams, and all of a sudden now you come in with a scatty guy. And it's a different change of pace. This guy's going to spin instead of hit you. This guy's going to make a lot of moves. And now, is a linebacker you come in or a safety you come in there and take that, you know, that fill that backside cutoff lane? Is he going to run me over, or is he going to spin move and make me look bad? You know, so I, I think a change of pace is always good. So I'm hoping to see Iowa come up with some really good, some depth at the running back position. You're a coach at Regina. So I want to ask this question in terms of how would you approach this as a coach? You have the great comeback win. Everybody's on kind of a high. You know, players have to feel really good about themselves for being able to make that happen. And on the other hand, you had a lot of problems in this game, both offensively and defensively. You don't want the comeback win to mask the continuing problem. So how do you approach that following week? How do you balance the great job, terrific comeback, a lot of optimism going forward versus, hey, we still have all these issues we're working through? Well, I mean, that's the good thing about film study. Uh, that's the good thing about watching the film. The film doesn't lie. And that's the one thing you find out. And so, you know, whether you lose by 50 or win by 50, the way you break down film is you, you point out the positives, you know, all the time, the great effort plays, the well-executed plays, and how it all works together. But then also you break down bad step. This is a bad step. This is what led to you missing this block or you get in a holding call. You had your hat on the wrong side, guy fought across, then you did, you know, what instinctively you do, and that's you grab the jersey. You break it down and you watch it every single play, every single position, and you can't hide from it. I mean, they, they got cameras, you know, that are incredible, and they're going to see every single, and so, and that's what coaches do is you sit and watch every snap, and you don't let that backside guy on kickoff return that jogged get away with it. Even though it didn't have an effect on the play, it could two, three weeks down the road. So you, you just correct every single mistake, every single time you see it on a film, and, and you make sure that it doesn't happen. I mean, because, you know, the idea, you know, somebody, I think somebody said something about, you don't do something until you get it right, you do something over and over again until you never get it wrong. And, and that's how you practice, and that's the way you gotta break it down, you just gotta make sure that you're doing it right every single day. Let's turn to this coming Saturday's game. Louisiana Monroe has played three pretty tough games, kind of emotional games, I guess, for them, and they played pretty well against TCU. What do you expect to see Saturday? An athletic team, a team that, you know, like I said, just from a pure standpoint is not going to come into Kinnick and be intimidated. You know, a team that's is going to want to get a win, is going to want to play well and get a win, and, and they're going to see the same film, that you know, the same game that we watched, and they're going to say, well, you know, we can do that. I mean, we, you know, we can make some of these adjustments and make some of these plays and, and do some of these things and maybe cause problems. And if, if we can stop their run and force them to pass, then maybe we think we can match up better in the back end with these three guys. You know, so, I mean, I think there's going to be a ray of hope 
for, for them coming into Saturday. And that's where I was going to come out and be so dominant and so physical and, and, and execute so well that, you know, after three or four possessions, they kind of know, okay, the Iowa team's back. This is the way they roll. And, and we don't have, you know, not that we don't have a chance, but they're better than we are and, and they're going to wear us out. And, you know, you, as a player, you never have that mindset, but I'm just trying to think of, in the mindset of those guys. And so it's Iowa's job to go out and really get after them right away, get on top of them, play well and execute and make plays and, and jump up 14 nothing or 21 nothing because you know we always get back to if you leave it to one play and you don't make the play you're gonna lose you know and that's you know fortunately this last Saturday we made the plays that we had to make to win and, and the week before we didn't and Iowa State did so I mean you just you don't want to leave it to that situation where you gotta you want to be able to see your second string quarterback play a lot your third string guys get some playing time and, and have it be that type of experience as you get ready to go into Big Ten play and you, you got to develop depth you know it had been nice in the first four weeks if we could have could have done some of those games you know we had one game where I think we were able to play some guys a little bit but that's the big thing about me if you're gonna have four games where you're gonna play teams that you know necessarily aren't top caliber teams it'd be nice to see selfishly 55 nothing games where you're gonna get that fifth string running back let's see how that guy plays when the lights are on you know because some guys don't practice well and some guy may surprise you or something. A bye week probably is coming at an ideal time this year because it gets you you take a week off catch your breath a little bit and then you head into the conference play especially on the road at Penn State so the the approach where you're trying to get as much you really hope Iowa gets a lead I assume so that you can see those mm-hmm. backups get some decent playing time yeah I mean that's yeah and they, and they should I mean if they just come out and take care of business that's that's the position they should be in but and, and hopefully the way they started Saturday will be a wake-up call that you know what we've got to do some things in practice we've got to come out and you know script better what we're going to do how we're going to attack them you know but ultimately I'm telling you if you want to win at Iowa you better be able to run the football and and we've got to get that going early if we want to be real successful because the good thing is like I said we showed that we can go four or five wide and get after you and be effective but you just don't want to be in that position where you have to do that consistently. Let's change gears completely and talk for a moment about conference realignment. There's a whole new spate of rumors this past week. What's your take on conference realignment at this point and what do you think is going on behind the scenes in the Big Ten? The Big Ten's sitting pretty good. I mean, they, they, it's a it's a good conference. It's a conference I think people would want to be a part of. But what you don't want to be is left out. I mean, you start talking a, a you know a Pac-12 that's going to get some Big 12 teams. That'd be a pretty good conference. And then you go get an SEC that maybe or, or a Big East that goes and throws some of the other Big 12 teams in there. And you have these two mega conferences sitting on each coast, and the Big 12 sitting in the middle, or the Big 10 sitting in the middle. These mega conferences gonna get a lot of publicity. You got Oklahoma and Oregon, and you got. This other one's on the east on the east side. You don't want to lose out in that game, and you want to be part of it. So I, I, I saw the Big Ten Network, and they were dead set against the whole thing. And I, I guess I sit on the other side, and I like it. I mean, I, I, I love the idea of, you know, it used to be before the BCS, what, what is the game? It's Iowa versus Wisconsin. It's Iowa versus Minnesota. It's Iowa versus Illinois. None of the other stuff outside mattered. It was about Iowa. Who's Iowa playing this week? That's all that matters. How are we going to do this week, this week, this week, this week? None of the other stuff mattered. Then the game was over, and then it was like, who do we get this week? And then you played it, and then at the end of those 10 or 12 games, they let you know if you could play another game. And if it was in the Rose Bowl, if it was in, you know, you know what I'm saying? And now with the BCS, it's did we win by enough? Did we, you know, did we look impressive? Was our schedule tough enough? And it's just, what? You know what I'm saying? It's almost like you just... You just want to get through this week to get to the next week to get to the next week and then see where you're at at the end of the season. It's like we're missing the point, you know. It's it's about the experience. And so I think the mega conferences could bring back, okay, we're going to play Missouri. We're going to play Oklahoma. We're going to play Texas. We're going to play. As a player, I love it. Let's see how good we are. 
you know, I mean, selfishly, I mean, Louisiana Monroe, I mean, you know, we played, when I was at Iowa, we played Drake, and I love Drake, and University, and Coach Craig, and everything he's doing, but, I mean, come on, I mean, it's, it's, it's apples and oranges. You know, we, those are two teams that shouldn't be playing. It's, it's, Iowa has a huge advantage over Drake University. You, you, know, you know what I'm saying? You know, I'm, a, I'm a fan of this. I like the idea of it. I, I think it will make for great, great football. I think it will make for great Saturday. You know, because if I was playing, say, a weak team in the Big Ten, well, someone's playing something good. And there's going to be there's gonna be great games every single week to watch in college football, and I think it's going to be great. What schools would you like to see the Big Ten add? Well, yeah, I mean, Missouri would obviously be good. I mean, I would have loved to keep an Oklahoma and Texas. Let's keep the Midwest intact, you know, anything straight up the Mississippi. You know, go out 200 miles east of east or west of the Mississippi, let's make that the Big Ten. I, th- I think that would be huge, Oklahoma, Texas, and that's the problem is if you're not out in front of this thing, you're just picking up the scraps. You know, you're just gonna you know, end up trying to figure out where everybody else fits in and, and who will take you, so. I think most Big Ten fans are kind of fed up with the flirting with Notre Dame thing, but if you're Notre Dame and all of these big realignments happen, you really could be left on the outside. A lot of your traditional rivals, you know, if they're expanding these leagues like this, they're going to have to expand the conference game schedule. Correct. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. I think the independents will get absorbed by somebody at that point, or they'll have to, uh, just because instead of having you know seven conference games you'll have nine or ten like the Pac-10 did last year so you may have one or two games non-conference that you can schedule so I think it's great because I I think at the end of the day this is going to help us truly know who the best team in college football is going to be I could be wrong about that but I think you know I would rather go seven and four playing 11 great teams than go you know 10 and one with three of the wins versus teams that weren't very good in my opinion. Coming into this game, I said Tino Sinceri throws a great line drive ball in the seams, but this ball has the wrong trajectory. It does not get over the top of the defender. He's going deep, makes him miss, throw the ball over the top with air, no underneath, too much of a line drive, great interception by Hyde. Great catch. But that ball's got to be thrown over the top where only your receiver can catch it. Just a reminder that you can participate in our shows by offering your own comments on the Hawks. The toll-free hotline is available 24 hours a day. Just call 866-74-HAWKS and make your voice heard. Also, visit HawkeyesMike.com, go to the News and Events section, and check the links for up-to-date information on Iowa games, TV channels, the latest Hawkeye and Big Ten videos, and team schedules. Check us out on Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook. And don't forget, you can subscribe to all Hawkeye's Mike podcasts through iTunes. Also, be sure to check out all of the Hawkeye stories, features, and blogs in the Gazette, the Hawkeye, and in the Daily Iowan. And now, weekly on Hawkeye's Mike, go to the video tab and check out the video highlights from the Iowa Hawkeyes, the Big Ten Conference, and teams from across the other major BCS conferences. Hawkeye's Mike Football Shows are brought to you in part by Prefence Hand Sanitizer, the revolutionary antimicrobial hand sanitizer that is alcohol-free and lasts all day with a single application. Try the hand sanitizer the Iowa Hawkeyes use. And remember, the best defense is Prefence. And by the Marsh Cook Investment Group, Wells Fargo Advisors Financial Network in Coralville, Iowa. Call 319-512-6261 or toll-free 800-883-0842. Marsh Cook, for all your investment needs. (laughs) 
Our thanks again to ESPN2 for the game highlights this week, and as always, special thanks to Marv Cook. We hope you have enjoyed this Hawkeyes Mike podcast, that you'll come back for more, and that you'll participate. By phoning and making your own voice heard, call 866-74-HAWKS. It's all Hawkeyes all the time on HawkeyesMike.com. One passion, many voices. Nice work, everyone. Sharp broadcast. Really good. Everyone on the floor as well. Really a lot of hustle. I liked it. This has been a presentation of Hawkeyes Mike, LLC.